Hi, I'm Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. And a hot topic being tossed around right now in the world of business and finance is ESG. In business, it means using non-financial factors such as environmental, social, and governance standards to evaluate a company. But some say it might not be as simple as the three-letter acronym suggests. To discuss, we sat down with Vivek Ramaswamy, author and co-founder of Strive Asset Management. Vivek Ramaswamy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. Vivek, ESG, um, some describe it as a Trojan horse. Is that a proper description? How would you describe it? Yeah, I think it's it's an appropriate description. It's a vehicle for advancing agendas that the government could not pass through the front door, getting it in through the back door. And I think that that's become a vehicle for both the U.S. government to use its as a backdoor mechanism to advance policy agendas that it couldn't pass through Congress, like the Green New Deal or so on. But it's equally becoming a vehicle for other countries to implement those agendas, too. And I think that it is about dissolving the boundaries between the public sector and the private sector. So ESG is one example of it. I think stakeholder capitalism is the broader umbrella term, suggesting that the private sector must expand its focus from just making products and services to now focusing on advancing these political agendas as well. But it is all part of this even deeper worldview, this vision of the Great Reset, that calls for the dissolution of boundaries between different spheres of our lives, so that each of those spheres can accomplish what they could not on their own by, in in effect, colluding with others. If you could dig in a little bit and and try to describe to our viewers who's behind this, what's behind this, and who ultimately benefits from it. Yeah, so let me make it really simple. I mean, one way to think about ESG is it's a mechanism of using capital as force to implement a non-capitalistic agenda. So if you think about the three largest passive asset managers in the United States, BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard, they together manage approaching $20 trillion. That is almost as much money as the U.S. GDP, probably including the money of most people listening to this conversation, this program right now. But what they're doing is that they're using that money to vote for agendas in corporate America's boardrooms that most of those everyday citizens actually disagree with, from racial equity audits to scope three emissions caps, things that Most everyday citizens did not want to vote for with their money. Well, it turns out their money is nonetheless being used by the world's largest financial institutions to, in fact, vote for those agendas in corporate America's boardrooms, from companies ranging from Apple to Home Depot to Exxon to Chevron. That is the nature of the problem. And when you think about Chevron or Apple doing something that you don't want them to do, they're not using their money to do it it turns out they're using your money to do it. And I think that's what most people don't realize. But as they wake up to it, that knowledge is the first step towards getting to a solution. Wow. I mean, it seems like we're just barraged by acronyms. You, you touched upon one, this diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes. Um, could you, how does that relate they, they to They tend it? to come in three-letter acronyms, by the way. ESG, environmental social governance. DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Corporate social responsibility, CSR. And then they all add up to, to, to the, of course, the one that's lurking beneath a lot of them, which is CCP, which, anyway, we can talk about that separately. But the, the diversity, equity, inclusion, these are just different ways of making applying a sort of a technocratic, technical-sounding veneer around what is really just a hard 
social political agenda. And one of the tricks that you use is that the labels you use for that agenda pick the word that means the opposite of what you're actually implementing. So, so in the name of diversity, what DEI does is it sacrifices true diversity of thought. It means there are certain views that cannot be expressed, that certain individuals or groups would find offensive. In the name of diversity, you sacrifice true diversity at the altar. In the name of equity, you sacrifice true equality of opportunity. Equality of opportunity says you can achieve anything you ever want according to merit, according to your own hard work, according to your own commitments, according to your own talents. What equity says is that actually we have a top-down quota system based on race, gender, and sexual orientation. That's what equity stands for. And then inclusion is my favorite. It's basically creating this culture of exclusion in the name of inclusion. And, and so it's a very, very much an Orwellian doublespeak that every one of these acronyms uses. It's funny, you know, this is kind of off topic, but uh, it's worth mentioning, you know, just, I was thinking about Black Lives Matter again. I was in this city here that we're in and I saw something that said Black History Matters. And it just struck me, it just feels as though these terms are fundamentally aggressive in, in nature to somebody who is not racist. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the sad part is it is creating a new racism that would not have existed in this country. Okay, think about affirmative action, one of the core policy pillars of the so-called equity agenda, the equity-driven agenda. What does that do? It takes something away from white people, from Asian people or whatever. That's a form of anti-white and anti-Asian racism, but it doesn't stop there. There's no better way to foster anti-black racism than to take something away from someone in the name of fighting anti-black racism. So that then fosters a new wave of anti-black racism in response, and we're left to duke it out over our tribal identity. The Great Reset, to use Klaus Schwab, the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum's, one of his titles of his book. And, and by the way, I reviewed one of his other books for Wall Street Journal, for the Wall Street Journal called Stakeholder Capitalism. I personally wrote the review and read the book. So I understand how they say it. What he would say this is about is it's about dissolving the boundaries, the obstacles between leaders in the public sector and the private sector, between leaders of different nations to work together to solve shared global challenges. That's what they would say. I'm not putting words in anyone else's mouth. That's what the proponents of this worldview would say. The problem is everyday citizens in those democratic societies in each of those nations are saying that they want their own voices to be heard. Whether and how to fight climate change, whether and how to address racial injustice or inequity, these are the kinds of issues that in a free society, every citizen has a stake in addressing. Every citizen has a voice and vote that is supposed to be counted equally. Whereas what the World Economic Forum's vision is, is that, no, 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 these questions ought to be settled by a small group of elites that muse about the racially disparate impact of climate change after they fly in a private jet to Davos. That's how we settle these questions, because everyday citizens cannot be trusted to sort these questions out for themselves, or else we won't have a planet left at the end of it. That is the Davos view. It is the World Economic Forum view. It embodies the view of old world Europe, by the way. This is what the American Revolution was fought over. More than anything else, it was fought over the worldview that says, we don't settle our most important societal disagreements in a smoke-filled room with a group of business leaders and labor leaders deciding behind closed doors what's right for everyone else at large. We decide it through a citizenry where everyone's voice and vote counts equally. The World Economic Forum effectively represents the modern avatar, the reincarnation of that old world European view, still seated on its perch atop the mountains of Davos. Vivek Ramaswamy, thank you so much. Thank you. 
I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.